Hello, welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bona Decents. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. Happy birthday, Rob. Thank you very much. You hit the big, yeah, big the, six, 6 0, huh? Is it 6 0 or 06? Well, it's uh, for your sake. It's. Uh, I wish it's it not. was 06. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, welcome to the club. Uh, it's all downhill from here. Um, and sorry, my, I'm a little bit under the weather, so sorry about my voice. But Rob, um, I know in the past that we said, you know, listen, our, our PSA on colonoscopies was our most important episode. Mm-hmm. And I know that we said that staying regular, that was our most important. That episode. was a good one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, we said the fire episode, that was a, that was, you know, our most important episode, mm-hmm. but I got to tell you, our guest today, I, uh, is Lenny Hall with Endurance Floors down there in Florida. And uh, all of us have, have, you know, or most of us at some time or another have, have, have read about acclimating floors, or we've, you know, we've heard about the proper way to acclimate floors. But the video I seen Lenny do, I think was the best, uh, this, you know, um, presentation of the proper way to lay out floors for, for to, or to acclimate hardwood floors. So well, how you doing, Lenny? Nice to meet you. I'm doing fine, Wayne. How are you doing? Hey, Rob. Hey, man. Did you just say nice to meet you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's never yeah. met me before, See, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Lenny makes me Didn't nervous. take long to screw things up, huh? a boy. <laughs> right out of the gate. Beautiful. That's awesome. Before we get going with Lenny, though, I want to talk a little bit more about my birthday. Okay. Okay. So Monday was my birthday. Sunday... I started saying to a buddy of my buddy of mine, he's packing up, selling everything. He's moving to Florida. He's same age as me, right? 60, same, like you said, join the club. So we had to do a couple of board repairs. He grabs a tape measure and he stretches it out to 60. Did and he makes st- me stand there at 60. He stretches it out? He, he pulls the tape out okay. of the tape measure to 60. And he makes me stand there. And then he pulls out another 15 or 20 inches. He goes, that's it. Go, <laughs> oh, nice. I go, you have just destroyed me. He goes, look. Yeah. He goes, look down there. Look at all that 60. He goes, look at, look at all that living you did. All behind you. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, my God. You are. And that you have got to be one of the sickest. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I got, I got about that much to go. <laughs> You know what, Rob? Yeah, and that's that's what that's what I tell Pauline. That's fifteen inch. That's about fifteen inches right there, mm-hmm. like that. Well, that just tells you to make every single one of those days count. Oh my God! When he put it like that, I, I'm actually I think I threw that tape measure away. I'm getting a yeah. new one. <laughs> there you go. It's gonna start at sixty. Oh, that's funny. Um, all right, Lenny. So I watched your video and like like a couple minutes into the video i was like i'll be damned that is the best explanation i've ever heard so what can you talk about how you acclimate your floors how you go about acclimating your floors and uh just kind of discuss that and i don't even know why you even have me on here you just gotta clip the tape and put it up. <laughs> i think we i sent the video to our producer and i said well just yeah just splice it in what the hell you don't just don't need do the me. video right and we'll We'll introduce Lenny and hey, everything's That's great. It. Talk about my birthday and go, okay, roll the tape. And then <laughs> exactly. boom, we come back. Lenny, that was great. We'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. Knock this one out in 10 minutes. I was afraid 
I was afraid we would have to pay him if we did that, Rob. I didn't know. Yeah. Before, so <laughs> it could it could be copywritten. So watch out. Right. We're over here at the uh, Baggio job site. That's the one with the seven-inch white oak rift wood, and I want to show you what the, what's going on. So I'm going to flip the camera around and then give you a peek of what's going on today. We got the last bit of materials because it was a two-batch delivery from the manufacturer. So this is being loaded up into the job site right now. The jobs are full of activity, but there's not a lot of people here right now working. But so we're loading this wood up. And one of the things that we do on this job site is we do moisture tests, as you know, to maintain that the wood floor is at the right equilibrium moisture content for the environment that it's going to sit in. So in this house, we have currently today a uh, temperature of um, uh, 78 degrees and a relative humidity of 52. So with that, I use the um, uh, and in the NDP installation guidelines, there's a chart that says the uh, moisture content of wood with the temperature of wood for the current relative humidity that it's in. So we use that chart and we go ahead and uh, uh, sticker our materials you saw here. We sticker it right here. They're looking for some short bundles to sticker this next one up. So we only found one short one over there. So this will get stickered. Uh, but one thing we do is we have this sheet here and anybody can make this sheet up for yourself. It's a Endurance Floor Company moisture content record. And what this does is it allows us to take a paper recording of our moisture content sheets. And it has basic instructions, basic instructions on how to do it. And I apologize for the background noise, but there's other contractors working here. And uh, so this sheet allows us to record the moisture content for the given date, time, and uh, place. So what we did was, and to make sure that it's always the same, is that we have a separated pile of wood. We have this pile of wood right here, and we have its partner pile of wood that way. So what we do is we number them, date them, and then we put the moisture content test on that actual piece of wood. So you see, they're all numbered and dated. That records the moisture content of those 40 control boards. Now those 40 boards don't leave the job site and they're not used in the floor at all. They actually stay on the job site through the installation and sanding and finishing. Sorry, I got really close there. And uh, what they do is they just record how the environment may change while we're doing our wood floor work. So if those boards change, then that means all that would change too. So it's a good way to monitor the wood uh, to see actual change. So if I go to board number one, I know it's 7.6% as of today. Board 21 is 8.8 today. So if we come back in two weeks and test them again in the same order, or at least we write the numbers down in the same order on a new sheet, we can compare week by week changes on those control boards, which indicates the same change in the entire order of materials. So we can monitor that quite well. Acclimating wood is uh, one of the most misunderstood things in the entire construction industry, let alone the wood floor industry. Um, I'm weekly faced with uh, conversations with owners and builders and designers, and architects alike on the other side of the contract, where it is me explaining them what acclimation really is. And that's just preparing the wood to be used in the home or space is going to be put in. And actually in the industry, somebody said, uh, prepare the home for where the wood's going to live. I think that was, um, it was uh, Howard Brickman. Howard Brickman, yeah, exactly. Which I, th I think is, I think it was a very, very well done show, and it's an, also an equal statement. You know, you can't put wood into a situation where it's not going to be able to acclimate to its end environment. So that's that's a good point. So anyway, my conversation is constant. You know, it's uh, I thought we had to leave the wood in the house for two weeks. I said, you know, I've never seen a piece of wood with a clock in it.
it doesn't know what time it is. It doesn't know how long it's been anywhere. It just knows that when you put it in a space, if it's got too much moisture, it's going to weep out moisture until it comes into balance with the space it's in. If it doesn't have enough moisture, it's going to take it in until it comes in balance with the space it's in. So I'm in a very unique environment here in South Florida for two aspects about acclimation particularly. Uh, one is that we have homes built prior to 1958, which are predominantly crawl space homes because every who, everybody who moved down here came up north with the northern technology of building homes. They lifted them up off the ground. They put crawl spaces in there, ventilation and the whole thing. Well, those floors and the wood beams and everything underneath the house are averaging 14 to 15% moisture content, averaging. And there are many local contractors here, relatively newer ones or ones that just haven't thought about acclimation or doesn't, don't understand it, will go out and get bundles of wood hot off the press, put it in the house for the two weeks, install it, nail it all up, sand and finish it. And it looks great because they just coated it. They're getting the check from the owner and they disappear. Three weeks, a month, two months later, the floor is starting to cup and, and the owners are trying to get the company come back. They don't come back. Next thing you know, I'll get the phone call because I'm the guy in the area that they all call about. And uh, I walk out there and I'm like, yeah, I can't fix this from this side of the floor. You got to tear this whole floor out and get the floor properly acclimated. And they're like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, well, first off, you got to make sure that your moisture content in your subfloor is the same as the moisture content of your wood material. Then you can put it into play. Then you can sand and finish it. And so it, it becomes a big uh, pain. So acclimating for me is one of the key success stories of my floors not failing. I mean, they don't fail. I never have a callback with floors shrinking or swelling or doing anything really weird that isn't an outside influence not related to the floor or its construction. So, you know, there's all sorts of methodologies behind it, but that's the main thing. Get it acclimated to the space. And that's arguably in one of the toughest places to install in America with your, your humidity down there and your conditions down there in Florida. Well, only for a crawl space house. Now you go to the other side after 1958 or 60, everything is either terrazzo or concrete, which means that you have the ground contact moisture through the solid material that's on the ground but the internal space is almost all uniform across the entire Eastern seaboard of Florida because everybody, everybody air conditions and everybody air conditions relatively within the same four or five degrees of temperature. And the systems run relatively the same number of times during the day. So they're all dehumidifying the air equally. So you can have a 200 square foot room or a 3000 square foot house. The environment's exactly the same when you're dealing with post 1958 homes. And so those are eight and a half to nine and a half percent moisture content floors. So if I get wood ordered from a mill and it lands at my doorstep, I stab it. If it comes an average of 8.1, I'm installing it and sanding, finishing it right away. There's no two weeks of anything, you know? So it, it's just a matter of knowing your numbers and, and working them properly to the space you're putting it in. Um, okay, so um, we've probably all heard that you, at the NWFA guidelines, there's 40 boards. You got to check 40 boards per thousand square feet, and in a subfloor, minimum of 20 places per thousand square feet, and, and look at the average. But the way that you do that, I thought was very unique. I've never seen anybody else do it the way that you do with putting the boards in on the floor and, and more. So you want to kind of go over that? Sure. It, it is unique, and I actually have had discussions with NWFA technical. Uh, about my methodology versus others. And it's a combination of a few things. One, it's uh, more of a laboratory analysis approach rather than just a random shot approach. So if you, if you had a, a, an assortment of wood material you bought and you just randomly stabbed 40 boards, you'll get a number, you'll get an average number. 
Um, but if you go at it two weeks later and just randomly stab another 40 boards, you'll get another number. But what's not related really is how the wood moved from two weeks ago to today, because you're not testing the exact same boards in the same exact way. And it's more of a scientific method than anything else is to keep a control group of material and whatever that control group is, that's what you test. And that's what you base your knowledge of the rest of the material for. So long as everything is consistent, it's in the same environment, it's been in the same space, it's been in the same area and you're not treating it differently. Like you don't have your 40 control boards out in the garage and then your wood floor materials inside the house. They have to be within the same space or the same envelope of space. So uh, a few things about the entire endurance methodology of doing wood floors is that I don't install one footers inside any floor that I install. And the wider the plank, the longer that average length does not get installed. So in this case, the example I'm doing for this seven inch plank floor is I don't install anything under 24 inches. It may come to me, but I don't physically put it in the middle of the field. I'll use them for the control set, starter rows, end of rows, but I don't, they just don't go in the floor which uh, is a more costly way of doing business. But at the same time, the owners see the value that you're offering them a longer average length floor and they're willing to pay for it. Uh, so going back to acclimation. So I take all the boards I'm not gonna use and we number them and we date them and we measure them. Now, the measurements that were taken there were not done by me, they were done by my lead installer, Maurice. So uh, he does the numbers, he writes them down on the boards. And then today he's doing the next testing on those same exact boards. And the premise is this, if you stab 40 boards, you get an average, you stab a completely different set of 40 boards, you get an average. But if I stab the same board on May 1st, and if I test that same board on May 30th and it changes 0.4%, I can honestly say that that board moved four tenths of a percent moisture content. I wouldn't be able to do that if I just stabbed a random board in the floor and then a random board in the floor a month later, I wouldn't know if the boards actually moved or does that board that I stabbed the second time, which is different, actually moved or didn't move. Is it the same number? Did it move half a percent up or down? Because you stab 40 boards because every time you stab a board, you get a different number. And, and that's a function of moisture meters altogether, which we could add into on this program. Okay, so we'll stop right there for a minute. So, so when I saw that, you know, it was one of those things in life when you go, I'll be damned. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it makes so much sense. It's stupid. How all this time I've been taking random I think he numbers. just called me stupid, Rob. No. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait for it, Lenny. You don't know where he goes sometimes. <laughs> he gets off the ramp. Sometimes you get right back on the highway. <laughs> No, stupid the way that I've been doing it for all these years. I mean, I would take 40 random numbers and and I'd, I'd document those 40 random, number, random numbers. But for you, taking those control boards, that, but they never make it in the install, those boards, right? They're on that no. job all the time. And so, yeah, you'll know exactly how much they move by by the, the measuring that board every time beforehand. Yeah. And they're yeah. sitting right, right on the floor. It yeah, they, so they stay sense. there until the job's over. I mean, sanded and finished and done. They stay on site. Did you do the same thing upstairs or just all that downstairs? Uh, that floor right now is being stored in the kitchen uh, dining area of the house. And my floors are in master bedrooms and in other bedrooms, as you saw through the video. So, it, But it's inside the house envelope. So it's the same atmosphere, same 
temperature, same moisture content, uh, equilibrium moisture content. It's, it's the same everywhere. So they just stay in the house as long as it's in the house and in a controlled environment. You know, nobody's picking them up and transporting them into the, the garage or nobody's stacking them up like, you know, a bunch of bricks. They're all laid out so that they have maximum surface area to the environment. Talk a little about how you, um, how you did stack the wood throughout. Uh, the big planks were brought in and we sticker stacked them, uh, essentially just trying to get as much airflow through the bundles. Uh, it's more cumbersome, obviously, to try to unpack every layer of every plank. Uh, so we just do it by bundles. And that gets us really close because obviously the th there are five boards to a pack. So the center board is the one that's got the least exposure to atmosphere. Uh, numbers two and three also the same, but one and five are outside exposed, so they have the most they have most surface area to acclimation. But honestly, what happens is that that's determined on what the initial test was. When I initially received the material, it tested at eight point one, and I'm only half a percent off of perfectly the guideline of in my area of that eight point five I'm looking for for my typical range of moisture content. So it's already at a point where I can just go ahead and go for it. But I still do the data recording week by week by week to make sure nothing weird happens to the floor on the job site. And here's another point, this particular floor special that it is, it's rift cut. So if it's gonna move, it's not gonna move tongue to groove, it's gonna move you know, bottom to top. So it's even more stable, but this method should be done on every floor, plane sawn, rift sawn, live sawn, whatever. Do you intensely uh, work with a lot of rift sawn for that reason? No, this was a specific request by the owner. Okay. He wanted rips on. I, I've done seven inch and eight inch wide planes on plank, same thing. So now let's say you've got the, you got this measurement, you've got these recordings. And yeah. uh, so how do you, do, you I'm, I'm sure you have a, like you have a methodology of, of documenting everything. So maybe you can kind of talk about having a, a like your worksheet that documents everything. Yeah. And yeah. Um, prior to me creating that worksheet, it was the same as anybody else does. You go out there with a piece of paper or sometimes you don't even do that. You just write it on the board, you write it on the board, you have an average, you make the, the note of that last average number on your paperwork and you drift off and go away. Well, three weeks later or two years later or 10 years later, you can go back on your paperwork and say, oh, the floor was eight and a half percent moisture content averaged, but how, how'd you get that number? And you know, where'd you measure it? And what was the site conditions at the time? So uh, based on uh, what you see at NWFA that they offer that job site worksheet, I created an in-house moisture testing worksheet, which gives basic instructions on the header, how to set up the testing. And then there's columns in which you can test and then write your numbers down on those columns. Uh, more often than not, I just test only the 20 boards because I'm not usually doing three. It sounds really weird, but I really don't do a lot of three, four, 5,000 foot jobs. There's a lot of jobs that are under a thousand feet that we do. And so testing 40 boards at a thousand feet gets a bit redundant because if you do any statistical analysis, once you get past 20 or 25 boards, it would take a tremendous amount of really odd readings to take your number and throw it much further off than two tenths of a percent in either direction. Okay. It's a bell curve. It's a bell curve thing. Yep. And later on, Rob, I'll go over what a statistic analysis means. I was just going to ask Lenny. <laughs> I was just going to ask Lenny. Um, when did you leave NASA? Uh, I actually never made it to NASA. Oh. <laughs> I'll call you later with that, Rob, what it means. But before before I'll, I'll call Lady on the side. Yeah, I just so had to get that one in. Didn't <laughs> yeah. So before, uh, so I also and, they, and everybody says I'm the mean one. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So uh, just for our listeners too, the NWFA installation guidelines has a checklist, contains eight pages of items to consider as you, uh, for evaluating a hardwood floor prior to starting work. Um, you know, I can't stress enough how important they are. If there's ever going to be an inspection, they go off of those guidelines. So even though, you know, you, you know we start we're doing this year after year after year, it's always good to go back and read the guidelines. I think once a year, I, I don't care how long you've been doing floors because it just, just puts it in your head again, how important these things are. So, um, so you're documenting your work um, yep. and you have, a, you have a program for that or you have a methodology for that for documenting the work. Yeah, it's on that worksheet, yeah. Okay, and so uh, how about your workday progress? Um, you've got lead guys on a different job and, and, uh, and do you document that as well? Uh, that's actually documented a little differently. We uh, run a uh, system called uh, end of day update. Uh, it's not something you can buy. It's just something you can just do in your own shop. And what that is, is that everybody who's on a job site sends to me a daily summary report of what happened. And it could be just picture. It could be picture with a few words. It could just be a few words. Uh, in one case, one of my guys, uh, being that he's from Chile, uh, the country, that he his English is not, his, his English is good, but his writing of English is horrible. So he knows it and he's very sensitive about it. So I allow him to give me a voice recording of his update. And so it creates a daily diary of every job's progress going forward. And uh, it has a, a long-term benefit in that you at least know what you did last week, Tuesday on a job site, should something have happened. Um, somebody makes a comment that, hey, somebody scratched the door in a house or somebody broke a glass or whatever. If your guys didn't report that right away, you may have a photograph of the room scene and you can see that the glass was already broken before you even showed up on a job site. And I had one client who claimed that we, uh, that we being in the house, were responsible for a missing weapon. Uh, he, he collected antique uh, flintlock pistols, and one of them uh, was a matched set of, of dueling pistols, and one of them was missing. And he called me up, uh, you know, weeks after the fact that we got done with the job because we had plasticed up every cabinet completely, hermetically sealed the house, did the work. And then they get this call and he says, hey man, we got a problem. I go, what's up? Because I'm missing a gun. I said, really? And he's, I, he's, he tells me what's missing. I'm like, well, hold on, let me look. And I went back on my records and I had to go back months back. But we found the photograph of us getting ready to hang the plastic on that cabinet and the gun was already missing. Uh, so I sent him the photograph and I said, Fred, it's already been gone before we got there, it's not us. A couple hours later, he calls me back and goes, hey, I'm sorry, man, I forgot. I, I had forgot I sent that to a guy to get repaired. And like, <laughs> I, I like yeah, no kidding. Like, so yeah, we all yeah. So end of day updates are valuable just to have a daily diary of the job site and, and being digital now, it's so easy. Everybody's got smartphones, they can snap pictures on it, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it just helps document the job, get you out of trouble. Send me that guy's number. I think he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 if you didn't have that picture, Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. I sent that out to get to pay you. Yeah, I'd like to talk to I want to take that a little further. Well, actually, th thank God he called back because you never, you always, there's that uneasy thing. You don't, you know what I mean? You don't want. Yeah, I'd like to know. Yeah. Um, and also for guys that, uh, that English isn't the first language and that are, you know, maybe trepidations about, uh, uh, is that a real word, Rob? We'll talk later. Uh, uh, <laughs> worried about worried about, um, you know, not being able to, to write as, as well or speak as well. God, he good heavens, man. I don't speak any English, any language but English. And I'm, you know what I mean? Just trying to master that. So 
I have a lot get of the, the Thoris out of your bathroom, man. That, yeah, yeah. It's killing you. I, 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 uh, so for, for people that English isn't their first language, I mean, uh, should feel no, no shame or whatever about, uh, fumbling because they're certainly speaking a hell of a lot better, uh, at a second language than I do. Uh, you fumble and nobody says anything to you. They let we it go. Cut, we cut most of them out. <laughs> um, tell me about a story stick for nailing off plywood. Can you explain that? Oh, uh, to make sure that our subfloors are very well um, uh, set in, in whether we're screwing them down, nailing them down, stapling them down, um, we use a guide. Uh, basically, it's a it's a um, piece of plywood, a scrap piece of one by four, whatever, and we mark holes in it so that we can put the fastener through the hole, drill it down, and we know that all our spacing is perfect. I mean, it's as perfect as you can get it, a human can do it. It's in a straight line, they're spaced apart, one to one and a half inches off each end, they're eight inches apart throughout the whole story stick. And it just allows us to track our fastener schedule precisely so that we can't have somebody inadvertently going too far in the fastener schedule and, and spacing them too far out. That's awesome. You know, that's so nice. You call it a story stick. My dad used to call it an idiot stick. <laughs> Yeah, whatever works, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't make an idiot stick. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Why, why is he? Yeah, he's as mean as when. Yeah, we we have that, and we also have um, spacers for putting them 16 inches on centers. That's so it's you don't have to put a tape measure on. Once you get the first row down, you just put two blocks of wood down, put the next one by four in it, screw it all down, move those blocks over, and just keep on rocking and rolling. In the least amount of time we spend pulling the tape measure in and out, you know, the, long, the longer you get to live, Rob. That's it. I'm not. I threw them. I'm throwing all my tape measures away. I'm just eyeballing everything now. You know, you know, I'll tell you what I love about that, Lenny, is that, you know, okay, we talk about, yeah, you got to acclimate the wood. Okay, you got to talk about, you got to screw off the plywood, but you leave nothing to chance. And it's the little things. This whole job, this whole industry is made up of little things. The small yeah. details, they, they say the devil's in the details, it 100% is. So this way, you're taking all the guesswork out, you're taking all the, uh, the, the incidentals out, all the things. And just making it a system that everybody well, can follow. Here's what I'm doing. I'm taking what I know to do right and putting it in the hands of people who, for lack of timing and lack of experience, wouldn't do what I would do if I was physically there. Like if I was physically there, I would take my tape measure out and I would mark tick marks on a one by four and I would make sure that every eight inches the screw goes down. Here, I don't have to have guys even think about it. They just got to put the story stick down, the half inch holes drilled through it. They just got to drill it through and it's, it's done. And the same thing with moisture testing. I, I don't have to tell them how to test the moisture test. It's on the, it's on the sheet. This is the methodology. You start numbering the boards one through 40, do the test, date the test, and off we go. And so it dumbs down the... Uh, the, the details that you want to have in a way that you won't have your guys fail. And so worst thing you could do is have secured a beautiful job like this at a, over a quarter million dollars and have somebody scrub up, not properly doing a fastener. The floor squeaks six months down the road. And then you're wondering why you throw a bunch of rare earth magnets on there. And you find out that the guy didn't nail up like three feet of an area. And what do you do now? It's a quarter million floor, a quarter million dollar wood floor in a fifteen million dollar house. It's not going to take twenty bucks to fix it. <laughs> so I want to I want to live in a life of zero failure. There's a there's a thing that, that people have uh, heard me say, and uh, I've talked about it with some guys called Six Sigma, and it was a methodology adopted by GE back in the '90s uh, in order to create processes to have the 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 failure rate of like less than one in a million 
because every time you have a machine run, it's, it's a less than one in a million failure rate. Well, I did that with endurance when I was doing our sand and finishing analysis. And I applied the Six Sigma philosophy behind it to try to find out what worked the best, what grit paper, what pressure on the sandpaper, what, what speed or the floor of the machine is moving, how far, how little of a, of a pass you can go through. And I know we're way off the subject of acclimation, but it's on the same principle. You take it to the point where you can make sure that every process you do is failure free and man, it's just cake work after that. Lenny, what's what are those pointy things over your right shoulder? Oh, I just found these in the closet somewhere. It's kind of like put them out for decoration. Yeah. <laughs> How many yeah. of those you got there? I think uh, six more than somebody else in this room's got. Well, I'll tell you what I'd like <laughs> you to do. I mean, it, it looks a little crowded. Send a couple up to me. I'll tell you what, I'll give you this. I don't have here. any. Yeah, even if you got a little one, I'll take that. There I'll, you give go. You this, I'll give you this little one, Rob. This I'll one, take Rob that little says, guy. I'll just put my name right on it. Yeah, I'll get uh, a new says, plaque for me and everything. It says honorable mention, Rob. You don't I get will the win. You get the honorable mention. <laughs> I'll wear it like a damn necklace. <laughs> oh, yeah. You look like a rap star then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Wayne, you got to put yours up behind you. Well, I, I had mine behind me, but I took, but, but I, when I knew Lenny was coming on, I, I just got rid of mine. I just hit it, hit it somewhere oh, else. Oh, yeah. It's I behind, it's behind the curtain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put up those pretty flowers there. Nice. Yeah. Which one is the most important, Lenny? The first one. Yeah. The, the first one touched my heart, and it was actually what got me introduced to the nation on in the realm of wood floors. Because prior to that, I was in my own little island over here, working my own little space, doing some cool stuff. But nobody ever knew about it just the local designers architects and, and homeowners they were just appreciative of my craftsmanship the design work i was doing and uh if it weren't for that 1997 award you guys wouldn't know who i was you know i um i met a guy at uh, our convention and he's just a he just works by himself he's certified awesome guy young guy and it was kind of his first conventions to go to and um, he came up to me and he goes, I don't know if I deserve to be here. He goes, you know, I'm no, I'm no Lenny Hall. I'm no, and he mentioned a couple other guys. Was I one of them? No, absolutely <laughs> not. And if you were, do you think I would have told you? <laughs> and, um, you know, I've seen a bunch of his stuff and what he's doing on Instagram. And I'm like, dude, we all deserve to be here, you know? Uh, what would you say to him? I mean, now that you know what he said, what, what would you say to a guy like that? Oh, the, he's just as good as anybody else, man. I'm just a, I am just a floor guy. Uh, the only reason why I got to where I was is because I was just a stickler for detail. Uh, I wouldn't ever do a job I wouldn't want to have for myself. And I just made sure that I always gave more to the client than I was getting paid for to do. And if everybody else does that, they're all invited to stay in the same room I'm in because we're just all floor guys, man. That's all it is. We're just floor guys. Oh, that's great. And I, I got to ask you. Except Wayne. Of course. He's, yes, a, yes, he, yes. he's, he's, he's Wayne, admin. He's admin a, now. He's, he's a admin. corporate stooge. He's a corporate stooge. He's yeah. a corporate stooge. <laughs> so he's here and we're all... Uh, oh, yeah. it's not that the gap is getting actually farther apart. You know, yeah. About it. Oh, yeah. it's, it's yeah. going this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Lenny, um, um, you even talked about, you know, when you, when you, the science of wood floors and we're getting away from acclimation, it doesn't matter. It's all good stuff. 
uh, even the walking speed with the Sanders and, and that type of stuff. And, you know, there's, sure. as, you, as you know, we all know there's a million things that make up this industry and all the little details of every little step you take is so critical. How in the hell do you give that up to somebody, you know, and not be, not come across like I'm such a taskmaster. I'm such a perfectionist that you have to do it exactly my way because I would be that way. In fact, I yeah. was that way. And I, and I don't know how you get away from that. And, and if a guy says, look, I've been doing it this way, or this is my style, that doesn't work for me. And I know it wouldn't work for you. I yeah, don't think well, it would. It, it's not difficult. Um, I, I also like to be in total control of things, but at the same time, I have to be a realist that I can't be on somebody's back all the time, expecting them to do exactly what I do, which is why I make systems that work so that at least I know if they follow what the system is, I'll know it's really close to what I would do if I was there. And so, you know, I got the guys working at the house right now. I haven't seen the house in three days, but I have, I'm absolutely confident that the nailing schedule is correct, that they're doing the moisture test correct. And we're going to get into, uh, I'll do a video tomorrow as the progress of that job goes. I'm documenting that whole house because it's got all the things in it that people could run into on any job site, you know, not the entire house, but at any some point, somebody's got to level a sub floor. At some point, somebody's got to do a moisture test. At some point, somebody's got to glue down a floor or nail down a floor. Somebody's got to do the sanding and finishing. So I'm going to document that whole house because it was such a unique opportunity to do so. That that leveling you were doing with the laser leveling stuff, yeah. that was unbelievable. That was some cool stuff. What we have is the laser set up. So the laser marking the level of the marble slab out there. And we're building the sleeper systems here, starting with the perimeter, and then we fill in the middle of the fields. Now this one's not completed yet because we're stopped the load material. But what this one does is we tighten those down and make them as level as we can with shims and glue and screws. So we get a really tight floor. I do take it to another degree. You know, NWFA says one quarter inch and 10 feet. Man, we're, we're like one sixteenth of an inch. If it's an eighth inch, that's like the fattest it'll ever be out is an eighth inch and 10 feet. You know, everybody knows that I built bowling alleys and that's what my family yeah. did. And that's how we set bowling alleys was everything had to be yeah. off of sleepers, laser leveled. Cause when you put a ball in the middle of a bowling alley, it can't move. It can't go right, left, back, nope. or forward. Right so on. everything. So when I saw that level, I was like, Oh my God, they are brought back memories. That's some <laughs> serious leveling going on there, man. And another yeah. question, have you always called it door skin? Uh, in our area, it was called door skin. I, well, I, I know some people call it Luan. They call it a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, because yeah, the first time I heard Wayne's brothers say door skin, that was the absolute first time. And I, I was like, did he just say foreskin? Did, <laughs> yeah. Is that what he said? <laughs> and then when I heard you say it, I'm like, all right, well, this is definitely on me. I got to. I got to broaden yeah. my horizon. It's a, it's a, it's a regional, it's a regional thing for sure. Yeah. So down here in Southeast is door skin. But um, man, that leveling you were doing up north, upstairs yeah. were, that was some. Oh dude, crazy. that was unexpected either. Because when I saw the job, that job, that house, uh, before this particular owner bought it, the previous person had put, uh, like a real low grade engineered floor in there and just glued it down. Like, so the other flooring company just floated it with, uh, the gypcrete, like, concrete and then just glued down engineered floor on top of it so when i was walking through the house doing my job site visit it was snapping and popping under my feet and i'm like oh thank god they're going to tear these floors out because i don't know how somebody even put that thing in the house to begin with but suffice it to say you know how much mud was there and how deep it was was uh, it just caught us all off guard anyway but you know i i could easily have my contract didn't say that i was covering i was being covered for doing prep work like that 
it was covering doing prep work to the existing concrete. But now what I did is I went down to the base house plywood substrate and I'm putting it all back and I'm not charging the owner for this additional week and a half's worth of work. They already gave me a king's ransom for the floor. I'm not going to nickel and dime a guy for the extra two, three or five thousand dollars this may go because it's going to leave goodwill. He's going to know that the next time he has a house to buy, he's going to give me the job. He's not going to question my number. He's going to know the endurance will take care of the job from front to back. And he's got no worries. That's really what all we do is we're problem solvers in the wood floor business. Somebody's got a problem in their house. They don't have a wood floor and they can't do it themselves. So we go in there and we solve the problem. If we can do that for the homeowner with the least amount of aggravation, it's worth something to people. And that's one of the aspects of how I can price jobs out as high as I do, because I leave no stone unturned when I do the work and I always give them a little bit more than I ask for in the contract. I may not be charging the guy, but I'll be damn sure that him and I are going to have lunch in that room while I'm doing it. So he can see. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I really ever have, con I really ever meet the owners of homes I work in. Um, usually it's the homeowner handler or somebody who's the rep of the owner I'm dealing with. So you're dealing in, in Highlander type houses, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which, you know, here's one thing I got out of the video too, Lenny. I mean, you know, you know, we all get the same 24 hours in a day, you know, yep. and as the expression is, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not on any job sites that, uh, that are magically all, all, uh, all the trades are out of your way. Everybody oh, no. Ready for it. By, by, no, everybody would be familiar with that, that, that job site you're on. Yeah. There's tra trades everywhere. You know what I mean? You're working around uh, an imperfect situation. So that's what, what. But it strikes me when I talk to a, a guy like you is that, you know, um, we are all faced with these same. It's just a matter of what you decide to do with it. You know yeah, I mean? how you handle it. How, how you handle it and how you set these systems up. And then, and then it sets you up for success or failure. The more things you can put on your side of the equation, the more chance for success. And the more you can repeat these things, the, the, I mean, you look at how much stress it takes off your, like you said, you don't get complaints. You don't get callbacks. These things are important. How important is a pat on the back to your guys? And how often do you give a pat on the back? Um, technically, I do it all the time. Every time they text me, I say, thank you. I appreciate you or some sort of compliment like that in writing. Uh, when I see them on the job sites, we're all laughing and, and just, you know, guying it up all the time. Uh, but there comes times where like, hey, man, you can't be doing that. And I do what I was taught in a very early day um, Dale Carnegie class and, and the instructor of the Dale Carnegie class was saying that you got to pretty much present the critique in an Oreo cookie format. And what that is, is that you give them some sort of good comment at the beginning, the filler is you give them what's bad news. And then you give them a good comment at the end saying you appreciate what you're going to be doing when you change what was the problem in the begin with. And so that approach made sense to me back in my younger days. And so every time I deal with somebody, it's like, hey, man, you know, I appreciate you're working so hard today, but you know what? We really shouldn't have put that board in the floor. Let's go take that board out and uh, let's not repeat that again. And, you know, appreciate you fixing for me. Take care and see you later. And so I, I carry on like that. And that's just a very mild version of what we deal with every day. You know, if a guy, uh, I mean, we had this happen where a guy, you know, by mistake, man, he turned a board around, bang, he bashed a Venetian plaster wall. Now, if you don't know what that is, audience, <laughs> it's not something that you could just put a little putty on. It's like the whole, the whole wall has got, the, yeah, <laughs> the whole, the whole wall has got to be done over again. But you know what? I told, told him, I said, look, you're not paid to work fast. 
you're paid you're paid to work well so if it takes you a little bit more time to flip a board around make sure you don't ding anything in the house take the time to do it if it takes us three days longer to do a project or two weeks longer to do a project depending on the size and scope of the thing it doesn't matter what matters is the end result is the customer has the best experience possible when they dealt with endurance floor companies, people, so that there's no animosity in any way, shape, or form, or there's no doubt that they would have had the best job done for them. So that's one aspect. But. I, I can imagine a, a pat on the back with for your you guys it, for anyway. It's just it's just human nature. It goes a long way. I mean, sometimes guys get beat up a little bit, and and uh, you know that pat on the back. If, if you've oh, we're not stress free here at all. The the two weeks ago Monday morning meeting we had here, it was a not a shouting match it was a big old hey man but 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 it's because we were so far behind on another project that it was just a matter of a couple guys didn't come to work that day another guy took a day off and this guy uh was just operating too slow and then we were delayed because something happened at the job site with the plumber and but you know the thing about deadlines on job sites is that those things never change everything that you do on a job site has to conform to that deadline date as best as possible unless it's completely unavoidable and then it's my job i'm the administrator i'm the head of the company i got to deal with the client and say hey look john i know you wanted to move in friday but you know what we had to refinish this area because we had saw scratches in the floor and we had to restain it and, and when i say that stuff i never say hey my guy left scratches in the floor i say we did it you know, our company did not perform as well as we should. We saw in the stain, we had to scrape it back down again, fix it, blend it in. We lost two days of dry time. Now we're going to be finishing your floor next week, Monday and Tuesday. You're not going to move in until Wednesday or Thursday next week. I get the blowback. I don't want my guys to get the blowback. It's not their fault, not their obligation. That's mine. So uh, now on the side, I'll say, hey, man, if I look at the scratch pattern, you didn't clock the buffer right and you didn't do this. That's the Oreo cookie part. You yeah. Know? So that's how it works. So we don't launder outside. We launder inside. Yeah, Wayne did it a different way with his guys. He'd make them stand <laughs> out in the sun. And if he was real mad, they'd have to kneel in the sun. Oh, with gosh. No hat. Yeah. Yeah. This is the nice. Yeah, until they were begging forgiveness. That's nice. You'll never make that mistake again. He'd tell <laughs> hey, I want to say, say something, Wayne. You were yeah. actually, we drifted off so much, which is great. I love these conversations because this is exactly what happens when you're in any NWPA function. You just talk mm -hmm. all night long, but the next yeah. end of the week, you can't speak. But you said about uh, sanding, finishing, learning the pace of the buffer over the floor and all that stuff through the Six Sigma an analysis. Um, I actually had guys quit within weeks of me doing that because, um, in my opinion, they didn't want to change their methodology, even though it was going to improve the entire system and it was going to improve their own work like their work that they were doing would have eventually come out well which is 99 percent of our industry the people doing work out there it comes out great they get paid they get a check they go on to the next job what i want to do is i want to do the best work with the least amount of effort on everybody's part so if i could and if i could have done the analysis and it did come out that if you move the move the drum sander over one quarter of the drum width versus one half of the drum width if you can put a finer mineral on the machine than you would normally use the typical 3680 cut stuff and if you just walk your pace a little bit slower yeah you may think it's going to take a lot longer but in the end the job is better it's cleaner it's freer of scratches and you're in and out encoding it and your client looks at the floor it's better condition you're going to get paid more and so yeah i had a couple of guys quit on me back in the early days of the six sigma analysis because they didn't want to change their methodology and, then, and they, they didn't tell me that they didn't want to change. They just didn't like the fact that I was 
showing them that they weren't working as efficient as possible and they didn't like it. Even though I tried to praise them as well as they look, if we do this, your body's going to last longer. The company's going to do better. We're going to use less sandpaper. They didn't want to hear it and they left, and that, which is unfortunate because, un, you know, narrow-mindedness is something you, it's very difficult to change. But, uh, but that's how I got the uh, entire thing, you know. So, and that's how I found about how clocking a buffer actually works. As a matter of fact, I commented on the diagram uh, that was posted just recently on social media that shows that the buffer radius, the pressure point was completely at three o'clock. And, and I sent a private message to the individual and said, you know, I debunked that because I have physical physically tested proof that it's actually between 4.30 in that area, plus or minus 30 minutes. And that's really where every disc works. And then the, here's the other thing. I showed that to Dittmer the other day when we were working together in Philadelphia. Luckily, we had some like super fast drying stains. So I had a guy stain up a square. I threw the uh, power drive on it with the, uh, the multi-head and I blasted it for like half a second or one second. And I showed him, look, you see where the pressure point is? It's actually two and a half inches in from the outside diameter of the disc. Because when you think about it, you got six discs in orbit. The outside edge has almost no mineral on it. If you go to the very outside edge of the outside of all six days, as it's going around, there's no, there's no grain. All the grain gets heavier and heavier and heavier when you're at the center of the ring of all six discs. That's when you're doing the most sanding. That's interesting. Well, and that, that's the thing. You never stop learning. You know no. what I mean? And, and, um, and the guys that didn't want to, for whatever reason, whether it's pride or, you know, I've done it this way, you're not going to change me. I mean, you know what? Sometimes the, it's okay to sh shake them, shake a guy loose. Yeah. I can't wait to make my son listen to this one. He was there. I know he was there. Yeah. <laughs> he was there. You met him, huh? Yeah. Well, him and I were doing, uh, we did that sand job over the weekend. It was 700 feet. And he said to me. After the, after the school? Just this weekend. Yeah. So it was after the school. Okay. Yeah. 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 And um, he said, you walk too slow. I go, yeah, I walk slow, but I don't have a lot of head pressure. And I'm using a 50 grit. I, I said, I don't want to put a heavy 36. There's no reason to put that, that deep scratch in there. And I can walk a little slower and not have to make too fast cuts, blah, blah, blah. And uh, him and I had a really nice discussion about that. As my buddy, he was uh, just cracking <laughs> up. He's like, wow, look at that. He goes, I feel like I'm watching Lion King, the <laughs> young lion and the old lion. But now I'm going to say, okay, uh, me and Lenny are right. You're wrong. Well, here's the other thing, too. Even though I find the most optimal, optimal rate of working on every machine and optimal grain, you still have to have the freedom of allowing guys to do what's comfortable for them. So there's a range that you should be able to allow that, that still gets the job done. You hope that they realize just through their own effort that, yeah, if I tweak it and I keep tweaking it and I keep tweaking it and I keep tweaking it, I'll get to that like sweet spot where you can just do everything and it's the least amount of effort, maximum amount of uh, results. And uh, that's just what we strive for all the time. You know, I'm not going to be behind the guy watching him and say, you know, you didn't move over two and a half inches. You, you got to keep it at two. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but the ideal is that if you know where the optimal point is and you have this little band on either side of it and they can they, and they swim in that little area you're fine you're going to do really well and you're going to just do, be really efficient you know I, i've had a saying for years that the bad thing about uh bad habits is they work most of the time yeah that, you know and that's why it's important that these little details are, are stuck with so i want to circle back real quick to uh acclimation um uh moisture meters 
Oh yeah, let's talk about that because yeah, that's a yeah. whole other thing. It is, and uh, probably one of the most misused and misunderstood tools in the in the toolbox. Yeah, I think it's even misunderstood by the representation that the manufacturers of the moisture meters themselves put out. And I'm not being uh, I'm not being mean to any moisture meter company. The fact that they make the instrument and it's a tool that we have the access to use for is fantastic, but. It can be misleading to persons who are using it that don't know what the thing's telling you. And so in a simple ex experiment, you can take, uh, if you don't have access to it, you can do it at the next NWFA school because they have usually two or three different moisture meters there. Take the same board, put all three meters on the same board, and you'll get three different numbers on that same board. Now, that same board has lived in the same environment, wherever it came from. It could have been recently delivered or been in the NWFA facility for five months, doesn't matter. You get three meters, three different numbers. Who's right? Well, they're all right. But the thing is, you need to know what the meter's telling you because, and actually that, uh, when you call me about this interview, I was gonna do the next, uh, I'll do another video about this very subject about moisture meters and how they actually compare to a true scientifically tested oven dry test. And so what I'm gonna do, and I'll give you the preview of it, is I'm gonna take 20 blocks of wood of oak and I'm gonna cut them up all the same size I'm going to take 20 blocks. I'm going to test them fresh. So that's the pre-oven dry test. I'm going to take them home, put them in the oven over the weekend. My wife's going to want to know why I'm cooking oak in the oven. <laughs> right? But I'm going to leave it there for like three or four days at like 185, 190 degrees, just hot enough to get the water out of the wood. And then I'm going to test them again. So I'll have as close to a laboratory test of oven dry test on that woodwork. Now, I'll know what the moisture meter said. I also know the gram weight of the wood because I have a gram weighter scale here for moisture testing and I'll weigh it again dry. And so I'll do the mathematical uh, percent test as well as the meters test and see how they compare. Because I actually have never done that before, but you spurred me on to think about how can I explain how moisture meters really don't work well, but they work well enough that they can keep us out of trouble. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to see that. I'll, I'll wait for that video. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, may knows the gram scale too, but it's it's not for wood <laughs> purposes. Yeah, other purposes. Okay, <laughs> different things. All right, so uh, industry guidelines have always stated something like uh, if you're using strip narrower than three inches wide, you can be four percent different to the subfloor. If it's wider plank, within two percent difference of the subfloor. But that goes again with related to how the meter reads what it's testing, and it doesn't know what material you're actually stabbing, even though you have those meters that can select 50 different species of wood and whatnot. Um, these are all very corrective measures, but the true test is, of course, the oven dry test. But one thing you need to know is if your meter, if and you guys can all do this at home too, you find a piece of wood in your house you've had there for a long time, you know what your relative humidity, what your temperature is in the house, and you stab that wood, if the chart that the NWFA puts out that's from the US Forestry Service says, that you are going to be 8.9% on that wood average, then in your meter says 9.5. And if it's consistently reading that 0.7 differential, then you need to know that when your meter, meter reads 9.7, it's actually nine. That's the type of thing oh, I'm okay. talking about. Okay. So, uh, and also I would include that everybody should have on their phone in their favorites list, this little chart right here. If, I don't know if you can see it on that screen, but that's the NWFA. Closer. There you okay. go. Yep, yep. That's the NWFA chart. And I have it in my phone all the time. And it's a main conversation point with every client is if this is where I want your floor to be, this is how your floor is, this is how your house is. And, and it just saves again a lot of time. Wow. So have that on your phone. 
great to have it on the phone. That's a good one to show the homeowner too. Yeah. Yep. You're not just you're not just making these things up. No, you're not making this stuff up. You're not yeah. just trying to buy time. Right. This is yeah. a real deal, real deal. Yeah. So I would recommend I would recommend that they do that, that they they really get into the understanding of acclimation and understanding how their meter is telling them information and then reinterpret it, uh, much like you know, a doctor that takes vital signs of your body, you know, you may have a high heart rate one day and a low heart rate the next day, but you know, why are you having that and understand what it's telling you? Wow. Well, I, I think I've done an incredible job interviewing you. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'll give you an A plus on that one. <laughs> Lenny, we know that uh, you got a million things to do and uh, we appreciate your time so much. I mean, you're, you're, you're an asset to the industry, man. You just are. Wow. And, I, I didn't... Uh, you know, I know you don't like saying it, but that's, it's the damn truth. You are uh, really, I think the line starts behind you, man. Well, I think, I think there'll be a lot of people that should be coming up that, that are like that too. I see a lot of young guys in the industry that uh, should be able to easily take over and surpass that mantle. So good luck for the industry. By the way, I, I'm, I think that's interesting. There's a lot of people, Rob and I were talking the other day, there's a lot of people in this industry, uh, not, not yourself, but older, a little older than, you know, the guys older than us or that mm. they're, they're leaving here in the next yeah. five years. Yeah, there's going to be yeah. a lot of, a lot of room for people to step up and be the next guy or gal. I encourage anybody in the industry to take an active role in participating on any level of the industry, whether it be, you know, signing up for a committee or volunteering to go assist in a class, uh, interact with your other tradespeople from different parts of the country, because that melting pot of information, the more it gets disseminated. And, and I'm not taking away from social media, but there's nothing like the physical in-person interaction that you have with another human being that uh, it just seems to really sit well and you carry it on much better than just social media. Amen. Well, Lenny, on behalf of Rob and I, man, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And thanks, thanks, thanks for uh, sitting with us for a little bit. Well, I'm always happy to be with you guys. So anytime you want, just give me a shout. Fair enough. Thanks, Lenny. Thanks, Lenny. Right. Have a good night. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode. Oh, yeah.